White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 641. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, we're back. Andy Fix and Van Allen Plexico. Andy, are you there? Van, I am here and I'm ready to go, man. It is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, your favorite podcast, and by you, I don't mean Andy, I mean everybody else out there as well, <laughs> for talking about Babylon 5. And we appreciate rank, you tuning in. This ranks in my top three. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that your own work ranks in your top three. That's really good. So, so yeah, so we're here this week to talk about uh, interludes and examinations, where this is going to be a one-off, one-episode podcast this time around, because... Uh, a whole lot of stuff happens. It does. the uh, The title of the the episode is very deceiving. Yes, because you expect you know something nice, calm, and relaxing. You know where it's an interlude between all the action, and they just kind of self-examine everything. And you expect them sitting in the the Zen garden or, or something like that. <laughs> this but is true. The obs- the observation don't, but it it it's not that at all. No, 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 no. No. Um, in fact, I had written down here a more accurate name for this episode might have been Turning Points, or perhaps the one name the name he had used before, Moments of Transition. Because this is this is more a Moments of Transition episode than Moments of Transition was a Moments of Transition episode. <laughs> that that's very uh, very apt. Yes. A lot of things change. A lot of uh, corners are turned. A lot of pages are turned. And, of course, there's the whole Kosh thing, which is one of the main reasons that I felt like this needed to be all that we talk about. Even if we don't even go an hour, I'm not sure how much you know material this episode is going to lend for us. We never, just so the audience knows, Andy and I never really know how long these episodes are going to go of ours because... Um, you know, you have your notes and I have my notes, but we talk about stuff and we, you know, we have conversations and sometimes there's a lot to talk about. Sometimes there's you know not as much to talk about. So, um, if this one ends up being short, it ends up being short, but I felt like it needed to stand alone. Plus next time we get into war without end and we certainly didn't want to do like this episode and war without end part one. And that be, <laughs> that, that would have really been weird. Right. Right. So. Right. Yeah. War without end needs to be. Yeah. It's a, its own thing because it's, its own thing. It's, yeah, if not two of its own thing, and that's what we're going to determine <laughs> next week. All right. A- Andy and I have decided that next next episode, when we talk about war without end, we're going to try to do the entire thing, and then we'll just see how long it runs. And if it runs too long, we'll just split it into two episodes, and if it uh, podcast episodes, and if it's if it comes in at about our normal length, then we'll leave it as one. So we'll just see what happens because I really don't know. I don't know what to expect. You know, you never can predict with right. these things. Right. I mean, we, we back at the beginning, we did like three episodes in one of our podcasts and, and, and did it in like an hour. 
Right, and we, including the the pilot. Yeah, <laughs> we did like huh. the pilot episode and the first two episodes. Man, I, I that's one of the reasons I had suggested that we go back and redo the the beginning, but that was shot down. I was apparently the only person who thought that was a good idea, so I said that's fine, no problem. We leave it, let it stand as it is. But um, uh, we so were yeah, far to, more efficient back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were more efficient because we didn't have our structure. I think we were just kind of <laughs> right. chatting, and and it was fun. I you know I enjoyed chatting, but I was glad that we kind of. Felt came upon our structure that, that that I think helps move things along and and it focuses yep. our attention on various things that we might otherwise miss I think too so so here we are at episode three fifteen I think it is interludes and examinations and that means that there are only seven more to go as far as by my count in season three and that means right. that means the the end of season three, which is like the end of a gigantic roller coaster about to go over a cliff during the apocalypse, <laughs> and then season four. Ah, that's just a rocket ride. We may have to do season four one episode per podcast. I just don't know. I don't know how we can do two of that. That season is too crammed in. It's two seasons. It is. It's two seasons. Right. It, it, it literally is. They literally crammed season five into season four, or most of season <laughs> most. five, and they did it in the second half of season four. Yes. So they 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 took half of season four and crammed in the rest of season four and most of season five into half a season. Yes, and and um, it shows when we get to season five too <laughs> that they did that. Right, <laughs> for, right, for right. better and for worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one thing I'm interested in looking forward to us discussing when we get near the end of our entire run because you and I liked and enjoyed season one more I think more than we thought we would it, it mm-hmm. held up better than we expected and so I'm really curious to see how we compare season one and season five after we've seen season five I'm really curious about that I, I am too I I'm really I, I'm looking forward to watching season five I know that sounds weird no but I'm looking forward to watching Babylon 5 season five I will be perfectly honest I haven't watched season five since it originally aired on TNT wow. so, I think I watched it um, once more I might have watched it once more maybe twice now, but it I, I been have back seen then. I have seen the very the final episode which was yes. actually taped at the end of season four multiple times because it's just yes. an amazing piece of work but for sure um the, the actual episodes of season five, I, I, I've only seen the, the one time when they aired on TNT. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, all right. Well, as always, do you want to? Well, no, we've only got one to do. So, shall we flip the, uh, flip the coin to see who's going to describe this episode? Sure. Flip the old Avengers <laughs> ID badge here. Glossy side can be you, and right. matte side will be me. And you can see that our viewers, our, our listeners can't see this, but Andy and I can see each other over the video feed. So he knows I'm doing it fair. All right. Now I'm going to pick it straight up, not fooling around with anything, picking it straight up. And it came up glossy. So that's you. All right. And I, I just have to, to say that I cringe every time I see you flipping around that, that piece of, of comic book history like that. <laughs> that thing is, it, it belongs in a museum to quote somebody. Yeah, uh, really. it is signed by William Jefferson Clinton, so and Henry Peter Garich. <laughs> All right, so in this episode, and like I said, this this episode was a lot more packed than I remember it being. But um, I'll I'll just just run down the list of all the plot points that that, that they hit, or all the all the um, all the different plots. Uh, I I guess the Amy would be Garibaldi. Uh, he tries to get Franklin to to 
um, face up to his, his stem usage. Uh, the B-plot, it would be Londo waiting for Lady Adira from Season 1 to return, uh, as, as she promised. Um, and I, uh, mixed in with this plot is Morden returns to Babylon 5 for his nefarious, nefarious tasks. Evil uh, And then, yes. And then um, Sheridan is trying to, to form an alliance with the non-aligned world. He's trying to take the non-part out of that, I guess. Um, but they, they they won't work together unless they see they're all afraid of the shadows. So they only will work together if they if they can see some proof that this alliance he's trying to form actually has a chance of winning. Um, that that leads into uh, Sheridan and, and Kosh having a discussion about getting the Vorlons involved. So uh, it's just and all those plots um, kind of weave together in and out throughout the entire. The, the entire episode, and then they they all kind of come to a head at the very end, and it, it's it's very complex and it, it's very well done. No Jakar this episode. I was going to mention that in in our uh, in in um, the tidbits, the the fun or the the uh, mm. factoids. Yeah, that was uh, he, it, you would figure of, of all episodes, the one where they're doing the the interludes and examinations, he would have some sort of part to play, but apparently not. Now the Narns get get mentioned, but only only a mention. So, and it's weird that they would bring him in for that one episode a few episodes ago where he had exactly one line, you know, and yeah. it's kind of a throwaway scene. Yet they wouldn't bring him in for something as important as this. Maybe but I guess I guess JMS just didn't have you know he had so much crammed in there he didn't have a scene no for him no. And I, I was going to say maybe Andreas went to JMS and said, "Don't do that again. Don't make me have to go through all <laughs> right. that just to come in and." <laughs> hand somebody a letter or whatever so yeah right can't blame him at all um yeah so there were two so there were two i don't know that there was an a plot honestly i think these were all b plots but they were really big yeah. B plots or or they were all a plots i don't know i mean yeah. i guess the a plot was the entire overarching uh theme that tied them all together there at the end i, I don't know it, it's yeah it, well, it, we, it was one of those episodes where the, it's just a lot of plot yeah well, we had two deaths, both directly traceable to the shadows. Yep, like like they actually, yeah, they did it. Right through through one through Morden, the other more or less he was there watching. Right, which was creepy. And I, I have a question about that. Do the shadows? Maybe maybe we can get into this in the your your unanswered questions part. Okay, okay, um, yeah. Well, let's get to that then. All right. So this was production number 315, originally aired May 6, 1996. I know there's just so much going on in this one. I just just want to dig right in. Uh, Written, of course, by JMS, directed by Jesus Trevino. Okay. So Mount Rushmore. Uh, Notable guest stars include Jennifer Balgobin as Dr. Hobbs. I guess Dr. Lillian Hobbs. Jonathan Chapman as Brakiri, which I thought was funny. Not the Brakiri or Brakiri Ambassador, but Brakiri. Like, oh, there's Joe and there's Brakiri. Hey, Brakiri, what up? You know, no, he's a Brakiri. It's like Jonathan Chapman as human. I mean, okay. (laughs) Rance Howard as David Sheridan, or was he... Right. I don't think that David Sheridan is the part that Rance Howard was playing in this episode, but we'll talk about no, that. He, yeah. yeah. Definitely not. And then, of course, the great Ed Wasser as Mr. Morden. Yeah. It's always a fun time when Morden shows up, right? It's always and a he good was, time. And he was full on Rod Serling this time. I mean, just Ooh. there's one scene when he walked out of a, a door 
a doorway and the, the red lighting and all that. And he had one hand in his pocket and he looked, I mean, just like Ross Reiling. It yes. had to be intentional. I thought he was going to say, picture, if you will, a galaxy right. ruled by the shadows, <laughs> a galaxy free of Vorlon interference. Londo yeah. Malari, a Centauri out of his depth, about to <laughs> enter the shadow zone. I actually have. Oh, hold on a minute. You are actually, a, a regular rich little. Dang it. I, no, not at all. I actually <laughs> have. Dang it. Um, um, well, I have this, of course. Oh, crap. <laughs> but I'm pretty I sure. Think, I think that was an actual line from the end of this episode. I, I think that's what he was saying, and we just couldn't right. hear it too well. Yeah, dang it. I used to, I think I got rid of it. I used to have the Twilight Zone. Uh, I used to have the Twilight Zone on here because I would hit John with it when he would say something in, in our football show that I very much disagreed with, but, uh, or something like that. I, 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 I do, of course, uh, have. Not for why you can, the monkey boy. <laughs> which is good enough for almost any. any any use? Yeah, I don't guess I have it anymore. That's disappointing. That's really disappointing because I did. I, I did for the longest time. I carried the Twilight Zone theme on here, and I don't. Anyway, um, I, I'm beginning. I'm beginning to understand John's frustration <laughs> with the uh, the board. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I've said before on that show I could do an entire show, and he talks, and right. the soundboard talks, and I never open my mouth because I have I have something on here for pretty much every. Uh, <laughs> Every occasion, pretty much. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we do have the, fan, the soundboard fan club on the football show. Anyway, um, all right, so do you have random factoids and notes while I'm fiddling around with this stupid thing? Oh, let me see a random factoid. Um, the STEM addiction plotline was originally planned for uh, Takashima. Oh, but after she, she was, would have stepped in on this. Yeah. Really? Well, I, it would it wouldn't have been it wouldn't necessarily have been in this season. Uh, yeah. But she would have been the one to go through the stem. But after she was written out of the the series after the pilot, um, JMS thought it was too good of a um, uh, of a plot thread to to throw away. So he gave it to Doctor Franklin. That is I that all right. I I've never heard that before, and I'm utterly fascinated. So. And I'm also disappointed because I even I went into my actual sound folder looking for the Twilight Zone. I can't find it, so I, do, I give up. Um, and that may have explained her her um, turn to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wonder. Yeah. So you know what? It would have probably been um, well if 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 she would have had her dark turn at the end of season one instead of that security guard that they ended up using. Then it would have had to happen right. during season one, because she'd be off the show. I'm right. thinking. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Um, I, there's nothing. There's nothing more fascinating to me about Babylon Five than trying to figure out where the story could have gone in other ways, like if it hadn't gone the way it did, right? Like Takashima or whatever. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in in some other uh, section of the multiverse, that's that that <laughs> those shows do exist. That's true. We just need to find the uh, the dark hole or whatever that book is. <laughs> but those people that are doing um, it are made out of water, so it's right. <laughs> um, the, Kosh was supposed to die later in the season, um, but while JMS was writing this, he said that Kosh told him that this was the episode, this was the time that he needed to die. So he listened to Kosh, and when he was finished with the first draft, he uh, Kosh was dead. 
So he, he thought that it worked out better that way than how he originally planned it. Well, let's um, be honest. Let's be honest. Kosh hasn't Kosh hasn't done a whole lot lately. Right, right. Um, but he said that there was going to be a, a whole different assassination scene later, and it was going to be more. It wasn't going to be tied to Sheridan quite the way it was this time. Hmm. Um, with the, with the the whole, I, and I thought the immediacy of his death this time made it more impactful. I think. Yeah. So I, I think it works better this way. Um, yeah, and sure. the only other thing that I have is there was a scene filmed that was cut for time that had uh, a ranger who was there to follow Morden around, and uh, the sh- the shadows killed him. But that was cut for time. And his name is still in the credits at the closing credits. It is. You're right. Yeah. Which I did is see interesting. that. I did see that. That's right. Yeah. That. No. That's fascinating. I just. I keep thinking. On the one hand, if. Cu- Kosh hasn't been doing a lot lately. It feels like after, um, you know, he had a couple of episodes where he did things. He hasn't really been active lately. He's just kind of been a presence in the background. So I feel like this. Go ahead and kill him now while he's still, while we still remember he's there. Because we're about to forget him, honestly. And then, right. and if you, the only thing is, if there was something else interesting he was supposed to do, I wish we could have seen it. Because... He hadn't, like I said, I mean, I just, I don't remember the last interesting thing he did. It's been a while. Yeah, it was probably saving Sheridan's life. And that was in the previous I mean, that was, season. That, right, and that was that was pretty interesting. But yeah, it's been was, at least a dozen episodes since he's done anything. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was, you know, he was a little bit in the, the episode with uh, Jack the Ripper, I guess. That was season two also. Was that season two? I thought yeah. that was season three. No. That was the next to last episode, and then the last episode of season two. Was it? Comes the yeah, inclusion of the maybe fallen you're right. Night. I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right, I just right. don't. I don't feel like Kosh has done anything in season three, and I love Kosh. I wanted him to do more. You're that's right. why. That's uh, why I'm. That's right. why I'm saying. Um, that's why I'm saying. If there was something else JMS had in, up his sleeve for Kosh to do, I wish he'd gone ahead and done it because right. taking him off the board, we'll never know now. <laughs> but certainly, right. He did get quite the exit to make up for him being kind of gone for a while. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, Now, I do want to have a brief conversation with you about the Vorlons in in light of the events of this episode. But I think we should save it for spoiler space. So you guys stay tuned and we'll see what Andy and I have to say about the Vorlons because I have a couple of questions for him just to get his thoughts on this. All right. Um, one other thing, before we get to unanswered questions, one other thing that's been kind of weighing on my mind the last couple of weeks and since, since the last time we talked, Babylon 5 declared independence. It's an independent state. And then after that, things just seem to be proceeding onward on the station as if nothing has happened. The only thing that really has happened is there are Vorlon and now other alien ships kind of patrolling the perimeter, and they have different uniforms. Other than that, I mean... D- nobody ever rises up and says, hey, why are we taking orders from this Sheridan guy? He's not in charge anymore. Well, I guess he's in charge of the country of Babylon 5 now, the planet of Babylon 5. I'm I'm just trying to wrap my brain around how the fundamentals have changed now that they're no longer connected to the Earth Alliance or the Earth or Earth Force. They, I mean, are they just continuing on with Sheridan and, and, and Ivanova in charge because they happened to be the last ones in charge before they became an independent state, or I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, mo- most of the people on Babylon Five were not Earth Force; they were just 
regular people doing their jobs. I mean, the, the Earth Force contingent is kind of small. Yeah. Um, and, and they're there almost in, in a um, a logistics capacity more than a military capacity. I mean, they they're basically just running the airport part of it. You know, they're they're mm. they're bringing people in and stuff like that. I mean, they got rid of the the security force, which was probably the the main contingent of, of Earth Force that was there. They got rid of uh you know Garibaldi's um uh the 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 cops. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, really, it, I, I mean, I'm sure some of them quit. Some of them went back home to um, to Earth, but I guess the people that say were probably like, well, you know, as long as they keep paying me, I'll still keep doing my job. I, I mean, want- and they, they seem to have at least some relationship with Earth because Earth post office is still on, on Babylon 5. I yeah. mean, they're still, I mean. That's true. I don't know. Can't stop. The I mean, it's kind of it's, it's kind of like, you know, Russia is at war with Ukraine and you know, a, a nominal ally of Germany, but Germany is still buying gas from Russia because it's, yeah. it's it all boils down to business. It is, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like the the War of eighteen twelve. Um, France said, "Hey, United States, we just helped you defeat Britain. Now you can help us." And we're like, "Eh, but we're making a lot of money off of Britain. Can't we right. do that?" And France is like, <laughs> "Son of a sacre bleu!" Yeah, it does come back down to dollars and frank francs and euros and dollars right. and cents. Yeah, it's good. It's a good point. Um, I don't know. I just kept thinking. I, the, only, the other thing that occurred to me is that maybe because the Minbari were co-sponsors of Babylon Five, you know, down to the point they even had veto power. Yep. So maybe, maybe the Minbari have just kind of assumed a larger chunk of authority over the station, and they authorize Sheridan to be in charge. Maybe if if Delin wanted to, she could replace John with somebody else. You know, and uh, if she, wanted I mean, to. I guess, yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting to think about like the political situation yeah. behind all this because it's kind of unprecedented, you know. Yep. Yep. So, um, okay. So let's get into unanswered questions here. Here's some questions I have about that are unanswered about Sheridan and Kosh and so forth. All right. So I said, Sher- in this episode, the big thing was that Sheridan changed Kosh's mind and convinced him it was time for the Vorlons to step up directly. Okay. So then a Vorlon fleet shows up and, dest- and defeats the Shadows. Who was that fleet? Did Kosh have to go back or call up the other Vorlons and convince them? Or was that his personal, like, family private fleet that he called in? Uh, who were they? Why did they decide to help? What did Kosh have to offer them? What was the cost to him beyond just him dying when the Shadows found out? And, and so that was my first unanswered question, is basically how was Kosh so quickly able to dial up a fleet? I think Kosh has, is more than just, in the, the hierarchy of the Vorlons, I think Kosh is more than just an ambassador to Babylon 5. I think he's probably a member of their version or their equivalent of the Great Council. Yeah. So I, I think the just Kari. like Delenn had... The yeah, Delenn pulled some strings. <laughs> Delenn pulled some strings to get the 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 Mimbari fleet to protect Babylon Five. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe Kosh has that kind of pull back at home in, on Vorlon. That's the effect that John Sheridan has: is that people around him are willing to sing, send star fleets to his to his <laughs> use, right? Delenn and, and then Kosh, and then later yeah. we'll see, you know we'll see what else happens. So yeah, that's some crazy charisma. Hey, he he has the mutant power to get people to send star fleets on his back. That's a nice power. Certain surprise yeah. the X-Men don't have that. All right. The other one from this was was there some kind of an arrangement 
between the shadows and the Vorlons, and obviously there's stuff we can talk about after in the spoiler, but just in the while we're talking about what we know from this episode, was there some kind of a secret, long-standing arrangement between the shadows and the Vorlons that if one of them directly attacked and intervened directly against the other, that individual is suddenly fair game to be attacked him or herself, because Kosh certainly seemed to know that that would be the outcome of him calling in this mystery Vorlon fleet and that he would not survive it. And the shadows didn't even hesitate. It was like they were running a playbook. Oh, right. the Vorlons did what? Well, time to go kill him. Yeah, I, I don't think it was so much uh, uh, like an agreement as it was like our mutual assert, assured destruction yeah. understanding during the Cold War. Yeah. We knew, and to this day, we know that if we... I mean, it's playing out in Ukraine right now. If we get directly involved with that, if we send our troops into Ukraine, that will start, you know, World War III. I mean, we just we have that understanding. So I'm assuming that that there was an understanding between the Vorlons and the Shadows that if if one of them, if somebody directs a- actively, you know, gets directly involved, that they will then, you know, be fair game. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all, you know, it's, it's like spycraft, you know, going back, you know, centuries, you know, spies know that or countries know that if a spy gets caught doing this, that they'll take out, you know, something of theirs. It's, you know, a measured response, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. OK. Um, other unanswered questions. What is Earth's official reaction now that open hostilities with the shadows have broken out? Because they're kind of half shadow themselves currently. Right. Um, has Sheridan usurped Earth's official relationships with all the alien governments he's recruited in the Alliance? So in other words, are they talking to him? Are they talking to Earth? Are they talking to both? And it gets back to what I was saying. Who exactly does he represent? Because I figure at this point he just represents the country, the planet of Babylon 5, you know, right. or Epsilon 3 or whatever. So interesting. Well, and yeah. he's got, he's, he has the weight of the Minbari behind him. I mean, so it's not just yeah. Babylon 5. It's Babylon 5 and the Minbari homeworld are you know they're, they're they're also invested in that so when the non-aligned worlds are dealing with sheridan they know they're dealing with with the bari who are i mean a huge power yeah the in the in the uh galaxy at this time yeah and and what other other alien races are currently kind of supporting the independent country of babylon 5 as well so, which is kind of what another part of what the last couple of episodes right. has been about um, who will replace Franklin as head of MedLab? I guess we'll find that out over the next few episodes. Um, mm-hmm. How did Delenn know there wouldn't be a body found when Kosh was killed? I think it's because she knows that he doesn't really have a body. Yeah, which again raises the question: Then how did he get poisoned know. back in the pilot? So yeah, that's uh, that's always been problematic. I thought that death scene though, right? I thought that death scene though when you saw the wave of energy. Oh, pulsing through Babylon Five from the outside—that's a lot of energy. <laughs> I mean, yes. When 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 he went out, he went out big time. Yes, no doubt. But remember, as long as you're here, I'll always be here. Right. So that's something to put in your back pocket. Um, does yeah. Delenn know what the shadows actually want? Is she still lying to John? That's a good question. It is. Um, let's see. Why does Kosh choose to hide behind disguises and symbols? He appeared, I believe, as Jakar's father and now as Sheridan's father. So what's his deal with being a father figure? <laughs> I, I think that that is the only way that he can 
communicate with them more effectively on on their on an emotional level. Yeah. Because when 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 they're talking to him through his encounter suit, he's very terse, yeah. very <laughs> just just obtuse, I guess would be or opaque would be a good way to put it. But when he's Shut up, Andy. <laughs> he didn't but mean when he that. Wants to, He's just a little crotchety for getting killed. Don't pay him any attention. When, when he wants to talk to him on a more one-on-one emotional level, uh, he, he's got to do it through a, somebody they have an emotional attachment to. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's true because when he talks to people as Kosh himself, it just doesn't go well. Right. It, it, never go, it just never goes well. It's just always a bad conversation. No, you don't understand. Go away. Get out. Leave me alone. I am Grouchy Vorlon. Leave me be. That's that's all you ever get from him when he's Kosh. But when he's your dad, so he's like, oh, hey, son, I love you, man. How you doing? And you're like, wait, this is Kosh? Oh, yeah. Or, <laughs> or it could be Kosh manipulating them by manipulating their emotions, by making him more, yeah. seem more personable and more, you know, approachable. That's true. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's just him being a Vorlon and, and <sighs> playing, playing with the... the the food like the they, cats do or something they are sneaky that way there's no doubt the volons have been sneaky for millennia yeah uh let's see a few other odds and ends the masked alien of course is a game they've been showing up recently uh yep. his name goes back to neil gaiman because yep. he looks like the sandman the sandman has a helmet that looks kind of like that not necessarily neil gaiman's sandman but yeah. well when um yeah but when 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 morpheus puts on his helmet though it does look like that he just doesn't put it on that's yeah that that's a good point yeah um oh the character dr lillian hobbs was named after a fan dr lillian hobbs who won the bidding at a charity auction at the 1995 wolf 359 convention in manchester in england that's interesting yeah i didn't realize it yeah it sounds like a name you'd make up so cool (laughs) um Let's see. Um, JMS said that this script stunned him as he was writing it, which you kind of you alluded to. Yeah. Um, the people asked somebody asked him about the title being kind of generic for such a big episode. He says, "Yeah, you got to watch out with this show. Sometimes I, I put on deliberately dull titles when I want to sneak up behind you quietly. The more innocuous sounding, the more you should worry. So if there's an episode." <laughs> If there's a fourth season episode called Nothing Really Important Happens This Week, then you better get ready because lots of people are going to die, right? You know, my, my favorite episode has a very innocuous sounding title. So. Which one? Oh, you, don't, you haven't told us yet. I haven't. We can no. discuss that if you like, but I, no, you, we'll you mentioned that you don't want to know until Yeah, I don't want to know yet. I don't want to know yet. Um, absolutely nothing happened at whatever, whatever coordinates today. We'll, we'll get to it. We haven't gotten to that yet. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, somebody asked about Kosh dying, and he said, as, as you said, Andy, he said, it was Kosh's idea, it was his pulling me that way that led to it. Trust me, Kosh said, and I followed. And it does hurt. Patricia Tallman was devastated at the screening. Even my own crew wouldn't talk to me for a day or so after the script came out, which is when I wow. knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't um, know that. Let's see. It's the, it's the story turn that surprised even me, he said. Uh, I think Kosh sort of hit the wall when he saw that Sheridan wasn't going to go away. I think he finally was ashamed and recognized his fear. And in a sense, the air went out of him. 
and he reconciled himself to what had to be. But what later convinced me, JMS says, was the realization that this was not only the right thing for now, but right for later, though you won't know what that means for a while yet, he says. Ooh, interesting. Um, Let's see. Somebody asked him, did you just not like Kosh and had to kill him? He says, there wasn't much about Kosh I disliked, except his cryptic ways. They're all annoying that way. Um... When they shot the scene itself, no, there wasn't a lot of emotion in the Kosh sequence in his quarters because it was all very technical bits and pieces. But in the hallway scene with Sheridan and the later scene with Delenn and the others, yes, very emotional. It was extremely difficult to write. As a writer, the only way to evoke a feeling in your audience to feel it is to feel it yourself and communicate that honestly in the text. It was just awful, he says. Um... The del- just a little bit more JMS here because he has he has quite a few quotes about this episode and, I, and I'm I'm only choosing the ones I think are really particularly interesting. The Delin Sheridan axis is proceeding, but I've been very deliberately holding off the kiss and what would follow that so I could do it in a very special way in a very special episode of Babylon Five. <laughs> you'll see soon enough, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, from what I remember. If and when they ever do kiss, there is something pretty cool about that scene. I think it. Uh-huh. I'm going to say if it's what I remember, and I reserve the right to be completely mistaken. But if I if I'm correct, I think it is the most space opera scene in television history. I think it's I, I can I can appreciate that yeah. the most space opera scene in television history. So we're going to get to it, and if we do, I'll talk about that. And that's saying a lot. Yes. Oh, God, yes. But it is. Um, He used voiceover in this episode a little bit. He said, it's a tool I'm adding to my toolbox. Uh, But he says, you just don't want to overuse it. Um, Sheridan has noticed by now that Delenn is still holding stuff back from time to time. Ooh, we'll see what he says. Bruce Boxleitner is a hell of a lot better than some folks were willing to give him credit for in the beginning. I think that's... Agreed. Yes. I think that's coming out now as his role becomes deep and more serious. Yeah, 100% agree. And then uh, somebody asked, why didn't Kosh just leave before he got attacked? And JMS says, because I think on some level he knew it was inevitable, a price had to be paid. In a way, Lincoln had the same feelings. Why was he to live when so many had died? In a way, he knew he wouldn't live much longer. Also, it would mean running, and the Vorlons don't run. No, they, they can't. They're in those encounter suits. They either like shuffle along slowly <laughs> they can, or they flap. Four do really fast. <laughs> I must hurry. Oh, no. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Um, and he said if he fled, another might pay the price, and that wouldn't be right. Um, right. Here's a really important point. It says, interludes and examinations for me marks a transition in the story from one shape to the next. The demarcation between the hero cycle and the myth cycle in the arc. Ooh, that's something to chew on. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it has the feeling of of a, a season, you know, a season ending episode. But yeah, the the, it, the characters do change. I mean, they take on a more mythic quality going forward. I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into the spoilers, but yeah, they, you know, it, it does change um, the whole the whole aspect of the the, the series. Yeah, and like I said, it it truly felt like you know it could be a, a season finale oh absolutely this yeah this certainly felt like right up there with like the season two finale maybe not season one but 
close. They're in a different. Right. Nah, they're in more of the. Um, that was more of like a Earth War thing. This is more of a Shadow War thing. But yeah, right. Um, Kosh lived a very long time. Is the last point I had. All right, let's get into it a little bit. So, well, I I do have one unanswered question. Oh, and maybe you up. know the answer to this. Fired up. When uh, Morden walks around, are the shadows with him, but just invisible? Or are they like in 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 uh, third space or hyperspace or whatever, and they just phase in when he calls them or when they're needed? Because it you'd figure those three big bug like things would take up a lot of room when he's walking down the hallway. People would like run into him and stuff. Or right when he walked in the door to Kasha's quarters, he was still standing in the doorway and they appeared in front of him. So it's not like they they snuck past him or something like that to, to squeeze into the room. So I, I'm I'm curious. If he's just like a, a a focus that they use to to phase in and out of of you know normal space, or or are they just walking around invisible? That's an excellent excellent question. I imagine you're walking down a narrow corridor on Babylon Five. You pass Mister Morden, and you keep walking, <laughs> and then you bump into something, and you Near. go, "Oh, it, 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 <laughs> yeah, go see." You don't see anything, and you go, "Oh, excuse me," and you hear, "That's okay." <laughs> <laughs> Who knew the shadows would be so polite? That's what they. That's the, this is what they sound like. The shadows. I, you know, this is what's funny. People think I'm just saying that to be silly. That haven't watched the show. Keep right? watching the show, people. Right. Keep watching well, the show. You'll find out. You'll find out. I found it interesting. I, I was watching with the. Um, the uh, subtitles on because I have a six-year-old running around, so it's 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 always sketchy if you're going right. to hear everything said. Sure. But the subtitles when uh, when Molari was talking with Mister Morden there towards the end or at, towards the beginning when they were having their argument, um, whenever uh, Molari heard the 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 shadows speaking to Morden, <laughs> the the subtitle said zapping noise. I had yes, I saw that too. You're right. You're right. And Zap, then zapping and then noise. when when they finally appeared. And we're talking to Morden directly after Molari left. It said squeaking noise. <laughs> see? Yeah. Oh, you'll see more. So they're, they're like a, a electrical mice or something. We, we have very polite electrical mice shadows. Ah, <laughs> oh, I like the shadows, man. I don't. They're creepy as crap, but you'll they see. They are. We'll see. Anyway, um, no, I, I, all right. I can say this much. This is what I do know. JMS has said they don't teleport from one place to another, they travel in a, in a, you know, just like us. I a hundred percent agree with you that logistically that's very problematic. However, according to him, they just mosey along invisibly bumping into people in the hallway. So maybe think, they skitter along on the ceilings or something like a oh, bug. That's even creepier. Don't tell me that. I'm never right? going to be able to sleep tonight <laughs> now. <laughs> I, great, thanks. Now, I I suspect that what this is is the clash between what is written in a script and what is shown when they actually film it in a in a in a hot tub factory. You know what right. I mean? In other words, if they had an unlimited budget, I think it would be somehow that they would be able to show you that they're there and they're just not running into people. But based on what we had to work with financially and, and effects and everything, right. you just had to just go with it, you know. Yeah. Go with it. All right. There that's, was a, that's interesting to know. There was a there was like a cracked or crazy magazine, Mad Magazine spoof of Star Wars back when I was a kid. And you know that scene where R two D two runs off in the middle of the night to go look for Ben Kenobi or whatever, and Luke wakes up and he's gone. 
Yeah. They did, they had that scene in this in, in like the Mad magazine, but they had like sheets tied into a rope going up to a hole in the wall about six inches square and luke <laughs> says how how did he do and and c3p was like it's science fiction man <laughs> <laughs> so how do the shadows it's the same thing right how do the shadows yeah. walk down a hallway and not it's just science fiction just go with it i i, I always picture them as being there but just being phased out the different like to use a DC comics they were using a different vibration so they were there but they weren't all there so they could walk around and not run into people and then whenever they wanted to be seen that they would just phase completely just attune their vibrations to our reality and they would phase in or something I don't know it's science fiction man let's not worry about it (laughs) (laughs) no it works for me what you just said sounds good to me All right, what's your high point of this episode let's go ahead and get into the categories Oh man, it, there were <laughs> every single category I have like two or three for. I so hear you. I hear you. Let's do for it. The, but for the for the high point, I I went with um, the Vorlon attack. Okay. It was just so cool to finally see yes. the Vorlon fleet in action. I mean, and and they were just wiping the shadows, you know, like like snot nosed kids. I mean, they flew in there and they just knocked the bejesus out of them. So. It was super cool to see the shadows get knocked around a little bit, and it was yes. super, super cool because those Vorlon ships are still, to this day, some of the best ship designs mm-hmm. in all of science fiction. I mean, they're they're organic, they're complex, they're dynamic. I mean, they, they have all the different colors, and you could see the Vorlon markings on them. I mean, like, like you know, they're organic ships, but they still have, like, like uh, symbols painted on the side or marked yep. on the side somehow. I, I can't imagine they use spray paint, but <laughs> and they looked different between the, the various ships. There was a red like, one. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. So it, it it was just really cool to see them in action and all the different types. I mean, we, we had three or four. You had the fighters, you had the the, uh, the cruisers, and then you had that big battleship that was just kicking butt and taking names. And, and yeah, it, it was a super cool scene. The scent, I agree. The sense that I got from it was the Vorlons totally caught the shadows by surprise, and if you had a straight-up battle, it would be closer than that. Right. I, I agree. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, it also makes you wonder, like, who all is on those Vorlon ships, especially the big one? Do they have a crew of, like, 100 Vorlons or 10 Vorlons, or are they people from other races the Vorlons have recruited the way the Shadows recruit people to be in the Shadow ships? Because sh- we know that the Shadow ships just have, like, one person inside. Right. They're not... They're capital ships, but they only have one person flying them. So right. is that is a Vorlon big ship a hundred, quote-unquote, people fighting one person, quote-unquote? Or is it... I, I don't know. There's not a lot of scale to this show. You know what I mean? I don't. I still don't know how big like a Narn ship is compared to an Earth ship or whatever. I, it's hard to tell. Oh, th- that's all over the internet. You can Google that. It's it's. Yeah. They have a whole. I mean, whole charts and comparisons. I of know, all the but ships, I don't know how much so. I agree with everybody. Sometimes right. they they don't seem accurate. Um, okay, so my high point was really sh- uh, Sheridan confronting Kosh in the hallway. That was just a moment we've waited from the very beginning for. Yep. And. Um, you you had somebody with Sheridan that was not going to back down. I don't think Sinclair would have either, though. I think that Sinclair, when he got ahead of steam up, I could have seen him doing that. 
Yeah, he had a bit of a temper himself. I don't know that it would have gone down the exact same way, but I think Sinclair would have had that righteous indignation that would have, you know, with, with Sheridan, it comes across as more of a practical thing. Like Sheridan's like, look, I have a job to do, and you're keeping me from doing it, and you got to get on board here. That's kind of Sheridan's approach. Sinclair right. would have been more like morally. You know what I mean? It seems to me Sinclair would have been like, you can't do this, man. You can't leave us in this situation. It is wrong. You know what I mean? It's just a different – I think they'd had a different right. way of getting to it, but I think it would have arrived at the same point. I agree. And yeah. uh, I, I could have used this scene for three or four different categories, oh. but yeah, yes. that, that scene wasn't no. – and. and for Sheridan, it came across almost as, as desperation because he was, you know, he was he's on his own all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, he was flung out into this situation by by the Vorlons for the most part, and now he he is. I mean, it, it's it's the last straw. I mean, he's he needs desperately needs their help, or the whole the whole house is going to come tumbling down. One of the best lines in the entire series: "Unless you get off your encounter suited butts and do something." <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Do, do Vorlons have butts? Um, do they Another sit? unanswered question. Another, yeah. <laughs> well, I should scroll back up to unanswered question. Um, I also had a note. I also thought it was a high point. Um, um, the moment where Sheridan realizes he should confront Kosh is where he and Delenn are talking and how about how to win a battle? And Delenn says, I'm sure you'll think of something. And John and leaves. And John says, every day, people around here are sounding more and more like Kosh. And then he right. kind of stops and goes, hey. Wait a minute. <laughs> that, was, that was so good. That was so well done. And I thought Bruce yeah. did a fantastic job with it, too. He, did, he was fantastic this entire episode. If oh, we yeah. could have the antithesis to the, the Ari Benzane <laughs> award. Yes. I think yes. I think Bruce would win it for this one. Yes, I agree. He really did do a great job this time. And he's turning into not just a spaceship space station commander that's kind of a cool heroic guy. He is turning into like I was kind of alluding to earlier. He's turning into a space opera cosmic hero and I am here for it. Absolutely. That yeah, he's taking that that mythic turn. Yes, that next step. You have a cat butt Right behind you. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's just stretching. He was arching his back like they okay. do when they take their selfies, you know. I just keep seeing it. He's, 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 he's stretching his muscles for when he attacks my computer and disconnects me later. <laughs> it's the hits the eject button on your old system. Right. <laughs> I think he works for the shadows. I'm pretty sure he's in league with the shadows, man. Pretty sure. He, he works for our competitor B five podcasters. <laughs> I love our competitors. I, I we interact with them on on Twitter and stuff all the time, and they're really good folks. But uh, they are awesome. Yes, but listen to our show primarily. Um, <laughs> I, I suspect that I, that you and I both went with the emotional low point. So let's get that out of the way. What was your emotional low point this I, time? I, oh man, this is another one. I had three or four different. I mean, literally yep. three or four different ones for, and I ultimately went with the. Uh, oh golly. I, I, to this point, I'm waffling. I, Lady Adira's death and yes. Londo's reaction to yes. it. Oh my God, that was heart wrenching. Because for at the very beginning, you know, when he said Vera, I'm actually I'm happy for the first time in years, and w this is the first time we've seen Londo legitimately happy. I mean, this giddy, yes, the entire series, and to finally you you finally take a breath and say, oh, 
so cool. Londo's back. You know, maybe maybe this is the turning point where he comes back to us, and then he's just utterly devastated. And that that hit me hard. I mean, I was like, holy crap! They had me... that taken away from you. That yeah. just uh, that, that snatching defeat from the jaws of victory like that. I mean, it's just uh. oh, it was heartbreaking. Let me lay out but a yeah. theory for you as to why, because. If you asked me any other time, which death, if, if these two deaths happened in the same episode, which one would be bigger and, and, and more harder to deal with, right? Adira, yeah. Tyree, or Kosh? You know you'd say Kosh, right? You're like, oh, no, we can't lose Kosh. Oh, no, Kosh is, is a key. No, 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 no. And yet I 100% agree that Adira dying was a bigger blow than Kosh. And, and, and I have a theory about that. Okay. Here's here's my theory, right. and you tell me what you think. Okay. All right. I think it's because well, because when Kosh died, everybody's like kind of like, dang man, Kosh is dead. Wow, that sucks. How'd that even happen? But when Adira dies, we see Londo's reaction to it, and Londo is not like, oh, Adira died. That sucks. Alondo is like, ah, you know, it's just his soul is ripped out. I think it's that. I think that it's seeing that emotional devastation on a character that we do care about that that makes her death hit harder than Kasha's. I will take it one step further, and okay. I will say it is because we can identify Ooh. more with that death than with okay. Kasha's death, because Kash is like some sort of political figure. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was awful when, you know, when so-and-so was assassinated, but it's just some political figure. But when Londo experiences the loss of Adira, that is like you or I experiencing the loss of our wives or somebody experiencing the loss of a close loved one. So putting ourselves in that situation, just, just, I mean, that's, that's how, you know, TV or, or store fiction can really affect people is when, you know, you are so drawn into the story that you identify. I mean, that, that's how they connect with, with their audiences. They make you identify with the character. And if we can identify, even for that brief scene, you know, with Londo experiencing that happiness, that joy, and then experiencing that horrible loss, uh, it, it 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 really hit me hard because because just for a brief you know a brief moment, I'm like ah that that would be that would be awful. So yeah, I, I think I think that that's why it hit me that hard, anyways, because I I, I did put myself in that situation, and, and it, it it's devastating. It really was, and I and I did have another one. The low, another low point was Londo going back to Mister Morden at the end, and it's just like some, it's like somebody that's gotten off drugs going back to the drug pusher and saying, "All right, just right. give me a whole bag of that stuff. Let's just fire it up." Exactly, and, and along those lines, the, the one of the other ones, the one I was waffling with up until the last second here, was when Franklin resigned. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's you know he I, I make. No, no secret of it that I'm a, a huge Franklin fanboy, and um, yeah, when when especially when he's packing up his you know his plaque, I mean that was that was really you know just the 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 hurt in his voice of, of his his failure to you know to to do his job right, you know it it, it, it was it was hard. Yeah, so he resigned as the as the chief of staff of the med lab and whatever. I guess he still has enough money in his savings to pay the rent on his quarters for a while, so he's going to stay on the station. He's not leaving, I don't think, anytime soon. So yeah, I guess he can. I will say, when when I first watched this episode back when it first aired, I'm like, oh my god, you know, they're writing them out of the series because mm-hmm. you, you know, all all the characters had 
trap yes. doors. And, and by this time, we were used to a character being written off the series. I was like, ah, this is the last time we're going to see him. And, it, you know, he had that Captain Kirk moment, too, when he, he came out without a shirt on. And he was showing his buff Bagwell <laughs> body. I mean, it was like, whoa. Yeah. And then they then then he gets kicked off the show. Or so I thought at the time. I was like, man, that sucks. Yeah, it's true. Um, let's see. What, God, another. This this is it's really tough. I mean, basically, we have a whole bag full of scenes this episode, and you can just pretty much parse them out any way you want to. So, what did you have for your most Babylon Five scene? Oh, you know, I, <laughs> again, wow. But I I I'm going to cheat a little bit and say the whole uh, Kosh Sheridan uh, Vorlon plotline okay. subplot was was just. It, because it, it all rolled one into the other into the next one um it, it, it was a very uh, important scene for the series i mean you know yeah. finally kosh is 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 put on the spot by you know by the the um leader of babylon fire leader of the whole alliance and finally kosh does something about it and, and finally the vorlons are, are seen kicking shadow booty so yeah i mean it was it, it it again like what we said earlier it changes everything it's a transition to a whole new a whole new uh, uh, feel to the the story. So, and it uh, it all you know was was focused on that one that one subplot in that one episode. Yeah, yeah. I kind of did the inverse of you. I had the Vorlons defeating the Shadows in the big battle. So we but we got yeah. the same two two things in in just different places. All right, right. So what what was your favorite character moment? Huh. <laughs> all right. Um, ah, man, I, again I'm, I'm waffling. I, plenty of I'm going to cheat. I'm I'm going to cheat. And I'm going to go with two. All right. Uh, first, it was Garibaldi and Franklin. Their their yeah. discussion um, that was tough tough to watch. I mean, and, and both both of their discussions that that first one, you know, when when in Franklin's quarters when when Franklin got all upset about him, and then that second one when Franklin finally came to the realization that he had a problem. That both of those were fantastic character moments for for Doctor Franklin and for Garibaldi. I mean, and I, I've said it before, but but Jerry Doyle knocks these scenes out of the park because I, I think they do touch, you know, something um, personal for him. So I thought he did a fantastic job in both those scenes. It was it was very well done. But um, my you know my most I, I, I guess the best character scene, and this was really weird to say, but it was Kosh's scene with through um, Sheridan's dad through his dream. Because that was Kosh, you know that wasn't that wasn't Sheridan's dad. That was Kosh. For the first time, we see Kosh's true character mm. interacting with somebody. I mean, and and he admits that he was scared. You know, he admits that he made a mistake and, and all that stuff. And it was very, a very very uh, emotional scene. And it was Kosh. I mean, Kosh is always you know everybody says Kosh is one of my favorite characters because he's so weird and alien and cool. But this was my favorite Kosh scene because it, he was so human, and I thought that was super, super cool. That's a good point. That maybe the best Kosh scene in the whole series is when it's not even Kosh visually; it's David Sheridan, but yet it's Kosh behind the scenes, right. basically. Yeah, that's true. That um, well, that was what I had as my favorite character moment was Sheridan and Kosh talking in the dream as Kosh is dying, and just because. It is still Kosh in, in, in a lot of ways, and and yet he talks to him like it's his dad, and yet the things he says, you can still tell that A, it's Kosh, and that B, he feels really bad about things, and maybe he's waited too long to... Yeah. He's, he's kind of like um, an analogy to, to that relationship would be like 
a, a Victorian era British millionaire who is dismissive of his children until he's about to die, and then he wishes he had spent more time with his family, you know, and not up right. in the office filling out ledgers and stuff all the time. Right. That's kind of the way he and, comes across. Yeah, and he shows some genuine affection towards yeah. Sheridan, which, oh, yeah. coming from Revola, I mean, it's like Spock breaking down during <laughs> Pon Far or something like that. I mean, it was like, whoa, this is, a, this is something we didn't expect to see from this super out there alien character it was really cool and i just gotta i gotta give a shout out to the the actor who was inside uh kasha's um encounter suit he as as big and bulky as that thing is that scene in the hallway with sheridan his mannerisms and the way he moved he he uh, projected real emotion through it was an amazing job i mean he projected real emotion through his his that costume and it was uh, it was astounding and it was very powerful because again you've never really seen kosh do much of anything but shuffle and nod and and this time you know he uh, just his body language was was very impressive that's an excellent point i was i'm so glad you said that because i was going to forget to say this and you just reminded me of it you're absolutely right did you notice when kosh was reacting angrily to sheridan and he looks at him his eye is real small yeah. Like like he's squinting at him. Like, uh, yes. Uh, and then when Sheridan then says something that makes Kosh kind of react and think, his yeah. eye gets real big. Yeah. It's like he goes from, he goes from, uh, to, uh, you can just yeah. feel that in that little eye moving. Right. And I'm not sure I've and, ever been conscious of it, but I think I was subconsciously aware of it. Yeah. Yep. And, and the way that that, that um, the actor kind of leaned forward a little bit, or or then yeah, drew or back, and the, when he was shuffling yeah. off, and then just stopped and looked. I mean, it was it was really well done. I was very yeah. impressed. I mean, I just assumed it was just some extra, you know, some some stagehand that they threw in the suit and said, okay, walk three feet that way. But I mean, this this guy was was really doing a job in there. It was really cool. I believe that's Jeffrey Willerth, who was at the time dating Lita Alexander. The actress. Yeah, you you've played. mentioned that before. That's neat. And uh, he is on. Uh, he was for he was on some episodes of the old the original Babylon Five podcast that was on back like right after the show was on. So twenty years ago, like one of the first podcasts <laughs> I ever listened to was that original Babylon Five podcast. It had audio. I, I didn't always enjoy it. it. Had audio problems and stuff. Some people were louder. Some people were more quiet. But he, I believe he was on there some, and it was interesting. Um, um, yeah, that was my favorite. Right, so, funniest moment. Was there a funny moment? I guess there was one or two. There was one or two. Um, I went with uh, when Veer was, was settling the details with the uh, the concierge of the... That's the, the one. That's what I did, too. Yes. Yeah. And the concierge looks at him. You know, Veer was showing him some of the items that he wanted in the room, and the concierge looks at him and says, well, you can never go wrong with garters. And then he stops and says, well, perhaps you can. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, you got the sense that Veer was supposed to be purchasing some kind of lingerie for right. Adira, and he didn't quite know how to <laughs> explain it to the salesman there. So, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I was surprised. I, was, I, I went into this episode thinking, I bet there's not even going to be a funny moment in this episode because there's just too much serious stuff going on. But I should have known that Veer would come to the rescue for us on a funny moment. Right. So. And anytime, anytime Veer interacts with Morden, there's going to be at least a funny line. 
That's true. That's true. And and, and he, he had one this time too. <laughs> yeah, he's okay, he saw oh short of dying, wasn't it? Something like that. Right, right? yeah. Short, short of, of dying? dying? No, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well we'll see who gets the last laugh in that relationship. Uh yeah. who won this episode, Andy? Hmm. I have two. I'd say Sheridan won this one because he got Kosh to do his yeah, he got Kosh to do you know what needed to be done. He got the alliance together. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it was a bittersweet victory, but I, I think, um, he won this one also Morden, not necessarily the shadows, but Morden won this one because he, he, uh, he got Malari back on board. The shadows kind of had their butts handed to him, you know, in, in the big space battle. So I can't say the shadows won, but Morden and at least his contingent of, of shadow escorts won this one. Yeah, you you're reading right off of my hymnal here, uh, or singing out of my hymnal, however you say that, however that metaphor works. That is right. Yeah, I had I said short Sheridan, sort of, but not ultimately really. Morden for sure, but yeah, you make a good point though. I'd forgotten to say that no, but the shadows get a comeuppance. But then on the other hand, they turn around and deal out some righteous revenge on on Kosh. Right. So yeah, that's true. Demonstrate their wherewithal. So um, so yeah, I think Morden is the clear winner. Sheridan. Kind of, in, in that he turns the page a little bit. He forces a turn in the in the in the great cosmic pay, uh, book. So there you go. Um, who lost this episode? Oh, there's some candidates here, boy. There are. I'm going to go with Kosh. Kosh yeah. ultimately lost. I mean, he lost his life. And man, that was such a powerful, powerful scene when they showed just the the remain the burnt out remains of his encounter suit. Holy cow, that hit me a lot harder than I thought. I, you know, Kosh, like I said earlier, Kosh is everyone's favorite character. He's very, you know, he's just, he's the, the weird the weird one that, every, oh, look at that. Kosh action figure. Brings a tear to the eye. Yes. You should take like a little lighter to that. To <laughs> give, give him battle damage. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was really, and then when they had the, his just his helmet or <clears throat> skull or whatever you would call that sitting on the desk, you know, that man, that that that, that was it, it was very emotional for me. It was it was very well handled. It was really cool. Yeah, for sure. That um, I I think that I have Kosh. I have a list of three. I have Kosh. I have Adira, obviously, bless her heart. Mm-hmm. But I think because Adira lost, who else lost? Londo Malari. Londo lost not only his love of his life, but also basically he lost the Shadow War right there. Because he went yeah. back to to Morden and said, "Whatever, whatever," and let the rest of the galaxy burn. I don't care anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that's he, he lost any any chance of redemption right there. I think so. So there goes. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of losers in this episode. This was a really and, losing episode. And that was, I mean, that was Lando's choice. He chose you when 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 um, um, Jakar had that huge monumental loss when his, you know, his planet was devastated. He chose the path of, of righteousness in the path of, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to do this the, the peaceful way. I'm going to do this a different way. I'm not going to go. Cause you would figure Jakar would go right for revenge. Like that, that scene in the elevator when he decided not to, not to murder Malari, yeah. but Malari, when, when he suffered this great personal loss, he went straight for revenge. He went the easy route to, to get even. I mean, that, that shows a lot about his character. Maybe, I mean, we all wanted Malari. We all, you know, mourned Malari when he went down the dark path and we all kept hoping he would come back, but maybe he was, he just never was that person. I mean, maybe he was just the, the, the evil guy all along. He was just a goofy evil guy 
who then just when given power turned to be a powerful evil guy. That's a that's that's legit. I can't argue. I mean, we, we there's what we want, and then there's what it is. Yeah. And you may, may be right that that's just what it is. So. I, I'm earning my pay tonight, Van. You're kicking butt, man. Um, <laughs> we we got to give our rating, which I'm looking forward to as always. And yeah. then I'm going to thank the patrons. But we have some interesting patron comments, and then we got a little bit of spoiler space I want to do. So, still some stuff to come here. But first up. What is your rating on this episode, Andy Fix? This one surprised me. This one kind of kind of caught me uh, caught me off guard a little bit. I, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did, and I gave this one a three point five. And I do it without any qualms. This is a, a three point five for me. It, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a powerful episode. It had some great emotional scenes. I mean. I could start listing them off, but it would add an extra 10 minutes to the show. I mean, it was just very powerful, well-acted, well-written, and well-executed all the way around. It was it was great. So 3.5 for me. 3.5. This episode, to me, is not... The, the totality is not as great as the sum of its parts. I don't think it's a great episode, but I think it is an episode with lots of great stuff in it. But the stuff that's in it is so great... I gave it a four. Wow. That, that's a, I, the way you were talking. I thought that you were going to give it a three, but that's impressive. Yeah. Um. That's right. A four. <laughs> Thank you, Kosh. All right. Well, so very well liked by the both of us, obviously. Yeah. And there's some coming up later this season that, it's going to be very, yeah. very interesting to see if we have enough numbers yeah. in our scale. <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, if this had aired last season, I would have been like, oh, this is a four. But knowing what's right around the corner, it's hard the... oh. to be giving out all these stars. Because then if you give this one a four, what do you give the next two episodes? Oh, or what I know give, what you I'm going to give season four? I mean, it's, uh, we need to up it. For season four, we need to change it to like six or seven star system or something. <laughs> That's why. And if people were wondering back in like season one, season two, we were giving, we were talking about episodes about how good they were, right? We would talk about how good it was. Then we'd give it like a 1.5 or a two. And I kept thinking, right. people are thinking, well, if you like it that much, why are you giving a 1.5 or two? And it's because we know what's coming. <laughs> I mean, you tell me, is this not the absolute fact this is the gospel of Babylon 5 that one of the hardest things about being a Babylon 5 fan is knowing how good it gets in this period now and up to, and what's about to come, right. and yet knowing that if we try to get other people to watch it, they have to make their way through so many hours of stuff. Some of it is a 1.0 and a 1.5, right? They have to make right. their way through all that to get to here, and very few of them are willing to do that. And I understand. That's fair. I understand, you know, who in this day of, of, of six and eight episode seasons that are prestige television, it's a right. lot to ask somebody to sit through two seasons of 22 episodes each to get to season three. Right. But if they can do it, they will see why we loved some episodes in season one and gave them a 2.0. Yeah. It, it's a relative scale. Yes. I mean, it... A, Bab yes. a Babylon 5 1.5 is maybe a 3 in, like, a, another show, like, like Farscape or something like that. Oh, you know, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. 100%. It, I mean, because it is the greatest series in television history, even the bad ones, you know, are, are better than a lot of 
what some people would consider good episodes from lesser series. The calendar I had in like 1999, they had a British Babylon 5 calendar. Every month was a really cool, glossy image from the series. And on the back of the calendar, it said in big, bold letters, the greatest story ever told. Didn't say the greatest TV show. Didn't say the greatest. It said the greatest story ever told. And I picked that up and I looked at it and I went, huh. And I went, yep. That's a bold claim considering what other story yes. holds that title. <laughs> I mean, well, that's like a, a John Lennon esque faux pas. <laughs> there is the one, yes. Right. But, but I mean, for me, the only thing that comes close in science fiction fantasy is the, the Roger Zelazny's Amber series. That is the other greatest story for me. And, I mean, after that, you drop down a level and you have, like, all the Marvel stuff and everything else. Right. But, but and Lord of the Rings, you know, and everything. But, yeah, I, I, I've always said this series is my favorite thing, period, because at, it's the only thing where at every key moment in the story, there were, I would go, well, what I wish would happen is this, but there's no way they're going to do that. And they did it. They did it. Right. And we're going to get to that more as we go into season four. There will be some moments that I'm going to say, I was sitting there going, I hope they do this, and they did it over and over and over, and I was just on the floor. And that, yeah, yeah it's, the, it's my favorite story ever. So, And as uh, it's what's the most frustrating thing about this whole series is, as objectively good as the series is, the cultural impact it just... It had pales in comparison to what it should have had. I mean, Star Trek has, what, a dozen different series. They've had movies. They've had toy lines out the wazoo, comic books, bed sheets. I mean, Star Wars. Oh, my God, the merchandising for Star Wars has been obscene. And Babylon 5, which is every bit as cool, you know, technologically, uh, milit- you know, the ships and all that, as either of those two, I would even say more so in- with some of them, it just didn't have the cultural footprint. I mean, it was no, it was like they're walking in snowshoes. You know, it was they they got to where they wanted to go, but then once they were done with, they left very little footprints behind them. And I'm like, what? Where? I mean, yeah, we had a couple a line of action figures and and some uh, a couple games and a video game or something. But oh, it's so frustrating I, because this series deserves to be loved by millions, like the the other big. Uh, science fiction franchises are. I think it's the price we had to pay for having it done right. Because if it had been, the, 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 I would say there's, I would say there's two reasons why it didn't have that big impact. One is it wasn't on a big network or cable channel or whatever. It was extremely hard to find. Not many people saw it. And right. two, it's it's a story more than it is a setting. Star Trek is a setting where lots of stories happen. Right. It's it's a plot device in search of this week's plot. Babylon Five is a plot. It is a yeah. story. Other stories set in the Babylon Five universe never have the same impact because they're doing something else in the place where this story happened, and it's just this one big giant epic story. And so it but but that's the price we had to pay because if it had been on a bigger channel and had been more open to other stories and so forth, I think it would have gotten interfered with a lot more. It would it would have gotten canceled sooner 
and we never would have gotten what we got. So it's the trade-off that we had to make. I, and I'm glad you you said that because that brings up the point to the at the point that Babylon Five got the exposure that that it deserved when it went to TNT, a major cable mm-hmm. network. Mm-hmm. You know, when it finally got to that point, it kind of sucked. You know, and so it brought all these people, and all these people are like, oh well, I you know I've heard so much about this series now it's on TNT, I can watch it, and everything we got from that point on, onward was less than. Yeah what we got before like the the spin-off series and i think it goes to exactly what you say they told the story in this setting and then jms didn't know what to do and he was just kind of spitball and they had a lot of corporate interference first from tnt with the season five and with Mm -hmm. with uh crusade Crusade. and then with sci-fi channel with the 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 attempt they made at a spin-off series there that they you could just see all the corporate you know fingers in, in in there just making the decisions for JMS and JMS, you know, I, I don't know. He just didn't have the, the story that he had before and it, it, it was lacking. So people well, are like, well, what's the big deal about this? This, this kind of sucks, you know? Well, doing spinoff stories of Babylon five is just hard because they're, they don't measure up to what we got and it's not their fault. It's just that what we got right. was so grandiose. I always say it's like if, it's like if the only star Trek that there had ever been was the wrath of Khan. That was like right. a, let's say there was like a 15-hour epic series of Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, right? And then yeah. they said, all right, we're coming back with a new Star Trek. Everybody's like, yay! And it's like, here's what McCoy was doing with this flunky of Khan for an hour and a half. <laughs> and you're like, okay, cool. Well, okay, in our next big uh, you know, series, it's going to be, here's what this other starship was doing while the Enterprise was fighting Khan. Okay, right. cool. But it's not... You know what I mean? It's right. Star Trek is oriented toward telling lots and lots and lots. Just like Stargate, all those shows, Space 1999, right. they're all about, te- you know, I would say that the series that is more like this would be Farscape in the sense that it was about John and and um, Claudia Black's character and, and the rest yep. of them on that ship. And I wouldn't want to watch a Farscape show that wasn't about Crichton and 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 and, and Claudia Black. I wouldn't. I wouldn't care. Yeah, that's a very good point. And and that's what Babylon Five was. Whereas you can watch a million Star Trek shows and and not have a problem because they're all doing kind of different things. And they're you right. know, so it's just a different just a different thing. All right. right. Um, we got to thank the patrons. Uh, the patrons had some good comments this time. Uh, let me first thank them. There, it, it won't take too long here. We always do. We have to thank Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, E.J. Alexander, Leah G., Lisa of the Bene Gesserit, cool, Emmanuel Seaman, Mond06, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone, M.F. Zahadoom, and Michael Halbrook. Now... That gets me back to the comments, and I'm, we have a comment from MF Zahadoom that explains that. So we'll get to that in just a second. All right, so some some <laughs> I don't I don't read everybody's patron comments, but there's usually some good ones, and I went and I mined them out to, to bring them to you, Andy. So here's a few. Um, uh, good old Allison Rich, who always has interesting things to say, says regarding Ivanova's lack of a Russian accent, Peter David in the book in the beginning comments that she was educated mostly out of outside of the Russian consortium, whether her whether, whereas her father and brother Ganya had stayed there. So I guess that's why on in story she sounds different. And then she says, My own comment is 
it would have been too much of an imitation to have another Chekhov in the core characters. We have Walter Koning already, eh? There is already a Russian tech who has some lines in C&C from time to time. Um, she said, I grew up watching classic Trek. I still go through it all, the, all from time to time. Spock was always my favorite. I love Bester's character. And you can tell that, uh, that, that Walter Koenig really loves to play him way better than Russian Davy Jones in space. You and I were talking last episode about how much more fun it is to see Walter Koenig playing Bester than playing Chekhov. And, and that's what she's alluding right. to. Yep. And and then it's funny. She says, as for the Avalon episode, that episode is so cringy for me. Michael York is a first-class actor, which is why I watch it, but I really don't like the episode. It's 1.0 for me. Now, Thank you, Allison. Yes, Allison always brings the logic and the sense. Colonel Dad says, I see your point, and first time around I agree with you, but Michael York is a great actor, did the best he could to make this a good episode. I feel I did feel his pain he felt that he had started a war by obeying a mistaken order. Uh, cheesy as some of the dream scenes are, it showed me his mental anguish at the beginning of, a hum- of Human Carnage. I got to give it a 2.5 for his performance alone. That's, that's fair enough, because he was really good in it. That is... And again, we're we're holding it to a higher standard because you know there's there's better episodes in the series. It's in this season, right? If it was a season right. one episode, right. we'd have had it right alongside it. Right, and I, I think I think we even mentioned that. Yeah, if if it had been in season one, that would have been a two point five for me as well. Because I even watched it during season one. I yes. went, I, I stuck ahead and watched it, and I said, "Oh, this is pretty good." Well, that was another comment that Colonel Dad made was that they could have slipped it in right after Grail, and nobody would have really noticed anything strange really other than that and, and thematically it would have worked yeah. great um and he says earth alliance postal service motto neither rain nor sleet nor dark of night nor the secession of babylon 5 from the earth alliance so keep <laughs> me from my appointed rounds amen um let's see um the, oh we did ask about carolyn the telepath allison rich again points out that after sharon uses the telepath uh, against the Earth Force ships. Oh, this is a spoiler thing, but um, Bester does ask at one point Sheridan if if Carolyn was was being used in any way by him, and Sheridan says no. So presumably she's still in storage. I'd forgotten that that's coming up. That we that's not right. really much of a spoiler to say that we do find out that he did not let anything happen to uh, to Bester's lover, as he put it, which I thought was so. Ugh. Funny, um, you know the uh, the uh, White Rocket Babylon Five review show research department really should put her on uh, put <laughs> Allison on on payroll. Yes, that is true. Um, let's see. Oh, Colonel Dad said in Ship of Tears, I guess they closed the casino because Sheridan was shocked, shocked to discover there was gambling going on in Babylon Five. <laughs> Here are your winnings, Captain. Thank you very much. This place is closed. Um. Oh, two two quick things. MF Zaha Doom. He says, My name is based on one of my favorite rappers, MF Doom, and three Ds because I play as King DDD in PlayStation Plus in the game I play in that area. And I, I wanted to bring his comment in because he ends it with an MST3K style episode or a bonus would be awesome. You two would have a blast. I'm down with that. Do we, we, we need to, to do we need to do a patrons only Mutai? Oh, that would be good. There, you know, there's an episode coming up in just a few episodes that we could do that with as well. Oh, this is true. Another yeah. lost season three episode. Right. In the wrong season. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up for that, man. I think, I think the patrons deserve that. Stick a bookmark in for that. I really dig that. An MST3K style episode, yeah. 
Um, and then EJ Alexander to close it out said, one tiny nitpick, Marcus Jason Carter's accent is English, not British. I totally get that. I think that people just say British accent, not really understanding that they mean English accent, right? Am I, am right. I crazy here? No, that's that's true because the Welsh accent and the Scottish accent and the Irish accent are all very, very different from the English accent. So yeah. he does have a point. But uh, we're we're Americans, so really anything outside of, of the – or anything that goes on inside the Isle of Great Britain is all British. So. I got uh, my DNA test most recently updated, and I'm like – 30% Irish, 30% Scottish, 20% English, 10% Welsh. So, and then the other 10 is like Norway or something. So, yeah. Yeah. So. I I once sent my dog's DNA in for that and they came back with all this different all these different <laughs> nationalities he was. So, I think they just make that up. <laughs> yeah, that or my my dog's ancestry got around. I don't know. Nah, that's interesting. Cool. All right, we've got one last thing to do and we will be out of here and that is Jump gate activated. Please clap. All right, so we're in spoiler space. If you haven't seen episodes beyond this, and we do let a few spoilers slip, mostly me, uh, anyway. Um, but if you, you might want to bail out now, just a couple of things I want to ask Andy. We're going to get on out of here. Um, did you have any spoiler stuff first? Let me ask you. Uh, we brought something up earlier, and I completely forgot what it was. So. <laughs> Well, maybe it'll come to you before we finish up. I all right. I wanted to ask you was I just wanted to ask you about the Vorlons. Um, what what do you perceive that their goal was at this point in the series compared to what we know later? Because it seemed like their their priority was um, like the shadows were out actively building an army. It seemed like right the, the shadows were out actively stirring up you know getting people on their side like the Centauri, among others. Right. What have the Vorlons been doing? I mean, we know that they kind of were putting some trust in Delin and Sheridan, and that's why they sent the Inquisitor. And you and a, a presumably Kosh is on that station to kind of figure out who would be the Vorlons' champions to go up against the Shadows' champions or whatever, although they don't really work yeah. exactly that way. It's more indirect. Right. Um, and it's not really a head-to-head battle, right? It's like the, the shadows stir up chaos. The Vorlons try to settle things back down. They're not directly fighting each other. And, right. and, and that makes what happened in this episode even more kind of shocking because it's not about them fighting each other directly. It's more about them opposing each other's philosophies and fighting indirectly. This is like if the U.S. Air Force suddenly attacked a, a Soviet caravan in the middle of afghanistan in 1980 you know it's right right this this is very much very much a proxy war just like yes capitalism versus communism throughout the whole cold war i mean we never directly came to blows with with russia but we are we put our money behind people that supported our philosophy and and opposed the spread of communism i mean that was that was a huge thing during for decades so yeah very, very much a proxy war between these two in their philosophy. And it seems like both the Shadows and the Vorlons, through their agents on Babylon 5, Mr. Morden on one side, Kosh on the other side, they are looking for individuals. And that's a very big theme that continues to resonate through this series, through this show, 
is the role of the individual versus the masses, right? Like right. foundation would tell us the masses are everything. The individual individual doesn't matter that much. Whereas Babylon 5 argues, and I mean in, 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 uh, in the deconstruction of falling stars, it openly argues that the individual really does matter, that individuals can be the hinge on which everything turns. And so the shadows find Londo and kind of turn on him. The, they turn the you know the hinge of history on him, and it right. feels like the Vorlons find John and Delin, and they're kind of putting all their eggs in that John and Delin being the leaders that they want them to be. Basket, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And Kosh even says at one point, "We we are too few yet. Like they they yeah. don't have enough forces to go up directly against the shadows. That they need to rely on the 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 younger races because they just don't have the the manpower that they used to have, or like, kind of like the elves in, in Lord of the Rings. There are just too few of them. They can't afford, yeah. you know, to, to risk, you know, their lives because they, they live for eons and eons and eons. And for them to actually <gasps> physically die would be, I mean, that would be a horrible thing. So, and I, I think what you mentioned earlier that the, the Vorlons caught the shadows by surprise when they wiped them out like that. I think that was probably the bulk of the Vorlon fleet that was even available at that time. Um, wow. They didn't bring out the big, they didn't bring out the big planet killer like they no. do against earth. <laughs> no. but, but even, yeah, even then, I mean, the, the Vorlon fleet wasn't overwhelming, you know, as far as numbers that, that the, the, the other races seem to have. And, and I think it goes back to uh, like what you said earlier, I think each individual Vorlon ship is, it, like they said in the episode, that was a part of him. That was his ship. That that was who, I mean, they were, you know, one and the same. So maybe, you know, the Vorlon warships are only tied to one Vorlon. So maybe the Vorlons only have, you know, a couple hundred Vorlons in total left as far as their race goes. I don't know. Well, that's, that's yeah, you touched on that a second ago. That's a question I was going to follow up on is you read it interestingly there. When Kosh said there's so few of us, I read that as meaning there weren't many Vorlons. But I think you're right, though, that he could have meant there aren't many at all on our side yet, which was true right. at that point in the story. Yep. And it begs the question, then why don't you get off your encounter suited butt and do something? Why are you not out there recruiting? you got to be recruiting, son. You need to bring right. in them four- and five-star athletes onto the, onto the Army of Light. You know what I mean? You need to recruit like Ohio State, like Georgia, like Alabama. You don't need to be out there recruiting like Louisiana Monroe. Come on. So he and needs that, to be doing something. That could point to a, maybe a fractious uh, um, government or a fractious leadership for the Vorlons. Maybe yeah. some of the Vorlons didn't want to be involved with this. Maybe mm. Kosh is, is a... Is a heretic or something. I don't know. We, we yeah. don't really get much insight into oh. Vorlon culture that we do like the Minbari culture. So I don't think there's it, any it, doubt. I don't think there's any doubt that by the end of his life, Kosh is completely a, a heretic from the way the Vorlons think. And I think that when when Darth Kashi, as we call him, shows up <laughs> in a couple of episodes, you're going to see that for real, right? Because right. I, yeah. I think that that's they, his name is Kosh too, but we call him Darth Kashi because he's like the yeah. evil Kosh, or he's not evil, but he's the. I think he's much more representative of the Vorlons than than our Kosh was. Our Kosh right. was way. Our Kosh was a flaming liberal <laughs> Vorlon. <laughs> this is like you know, this is like uh, uh, Warren Harding. Uh, uh, Vorlon showing up, you know. So, um, very different. Don't, 
don't Vorlon didn't Kosh have a second name? Nerenek. Well? Or Nerenek. Yeah. yeah. And then this Kosh is Kosh something different. It's not Kosh Nerenek again, right? I don't remember. Or do we not know that? I mean, Olkesh. Olkesh. Olkesh Kosh. Yeah. You, maybe I'd forgotten Kosh that. Is, yeah, maybe Kosh is a family name. Oh. So maybe this is like another Kosh, but like kind of like a, you know. But. Second cousin Kosh. Or something. We are all Kosh. Right. <laughs> That's what he says when they ask him, you're Kosh? Yes. Yeah. Maybe maybe Kosh is the name of the the Vorlons give themselves. Yeah, I there's a lot of yeah. there's more. I, well, they, here's the thing: we've seen the show, the series, multiple times, both of us, and we still yeah. don't understand the Vorlons. They right. are their whole thing, their brand is Enigma, and they remain an Enigma. And I think that is entirely on purpose on JMS's part because yeah. if he explained anything. Anything about the Vorlons that, that would lose that much of their their power. Yeah, their magic. They really, yeah. Um, that's why, by the way, it was always strange to me to think that the Techno Mages had more in, con- in connection with the Shadows because if there were ever characters on the show that to me seemed like they ought to have connections to the Vorlons, it's the Techno Mages. Yeah. But they, they didn't. And they just seemed like. But we have seen where the Shadows are all about. Um, using technology, you know, interweaving technology with biology. Yeah. So it, it maybe the Technomages do make more sense with the Shadows because they are they a, a combination of, of biology and, and, and technology. They do, yeah, and that's their whole thing. They're using Shadow Tech. We know that. That's what right. Galen was trying to hide. But I'm going right. to throw out my $50 idea that just occurred to me. And this is the last thing I have to say for tonight. If you have anything else, that's fine. Here's my $50 idea. Do another Babylon 5 uh, movie kind of like third space or whatever, but introduce us to the humans or whatever race that are techno-mages, but they use Vorlon lost technology instead of shadow. And here's how you say, here's how you play it off. Remember at the end of third space, when they go to all that great length to get rid of that one Vorlon mistake. And then at Mm -hmm. the end, they're like one mistake, one of so many. All you got to do is have some humans find some other Vorlon mis- cast-off mistake and use it to yeah. make themselves into, you know, Iron Man or <laughs> whatever. That's that's uh, cool. We, we ought to put that in the pipeline of JMS for the new series. I'll, I'll call and you it know, up, yeah. <laughs> I, I do have one last thing to say. Let's do it. Going back to what what you were saying earlier about the Babylon 5, the, the, the reason why it didn't have the bigger cultural yes. footprint is because it was just the story. Does JMS, when he does this new series, given that the CW and the the upper management at Warner's is looking for that big sci-fi franchise to compete with Star Trek and Star Wars, does JMS set this up as more of a series, Mm. you know, as more of a setting, or is he going for the story again? That's something to think about, something to look for. Yeah. I hope we get to find out. I, I, I hope that JMS... I hope that they want the, the 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 setting, and JMS gives them what they want, but mixes in the epic story. Yes, yeah, I think that would be the ideal. That would be the ideal. Right. All right, I think we are more than out of time, but I had a good time. We had a, I knew we had a lot to talk about tonight, and I knew that it would kind right. of branch I, off in some of the directions. So I'm glad we just were able to do one. Yeah, I, I told my wife, ah, this one will be over in an hour. We just got one episode to talk about. <laughs> I know, I know, I wasn't. I told my wife that I have no idea. I said it could be 50 minutes, it could be an hour and 50 minutes. I really don't know. Right. 
It's going to be very interesting next time to see how long it takes us to talk about War Without End. We may have to just do one and then go, well, it's been an hour and a half and we're still talking about episode one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We, we might want to plan that because if yeah. we had this much to say about this one, War Without End, squeeze in two Ooh. episodes, we'll be here until two in the morning. I think you're right. <laughs> I think we'll go ahead and plan on doing one. So. All right, I think right. We're the the, uh, the station is going to get out of here for another episode. We really appreciate you guys listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, be sure to go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the button to become a patron, and you can join in the, with the other crowd, and you can uh, leave your comments. And we also, like we say, we might do an MST3K episode, episode just for you. So, Andy, it's been a pleasure, man. Have a good night. It, it has been a pleasure. And I just want to throw out there – Feel free to contact us via Facebook. I mean, I, I, I've, I've gotten messages from several of our list, listeners, and it's always fun to get a Facebook message from them. So, yeah. And, and, and on Twitter, yeah. too. Yep, on Twitter. definitely. All right. All right. We'll see you guys later. All right. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.